today, uh, we will continue with the subject, trans-assimilation, the first uh, born church, not in heaven, no, not on earth, yes, in heaven. And so, here's what we are going to get into today. Uh, It will cover some very, very interesting subjects and interesting things. But just before I open that up, uh, I want to talk about uh, what's going on uh, in the world today uh, with the gigantic earthquake and tsunami that happened in Japan and the suffering of tens of thousands uh, of persons uh, and deaths and uh, still in a continuum uh, with the possibility of... uh, some really serious problems uh, in the field of their atomic atomic generation uh, for um, electrical needs and so forth. Uh, plants that are about ready to become bombs if they're not careful. Uh, first, I want to just to say, uh, Heavenly Father, I ask for your mercy and your grace and your love. For these people, for any of the persons that are there that uh, may still be alive uh, somewhere in the debris, that they will be found and uh, they will be rescued. Uh, I pray for the the lost loved ones, uh, for your mercy upon those remaining. Just uh, express your love, God, uh, at this time of such terrible tragedy. I pray for the people of Libya uh, that are also suffering. Uh, God, thy mercy, come and be present upon the earth. People have asked me, well, what do you think about this? Uh, You know, in the the light of of the end of the world and all of that kind of thing. Uh, You know, I don't think any differently than how I I believe it and how I know by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God that that, that it is. Uh, One of the things that they said on on one of the broadcasts is that there are not, there is is not an increase of earthquakes. Um, And uh, Japan is saying this is the worst earthquake that they uh, have had in their known history of earthquakes. And that is very true because some of these earthquakes um, are are cyclic. And some come around, you know, every five years. Some come around, uh, you know, maybe every uh, 15 or uh, 25 years or 100 years. Some come around every 500 years. Uh, Most of the the seismic recordings and things of that nature that, that have been done are back into the 1900s. That's not very long ago. So there are not adequate uh, historical uh, coverages uh, and records <clears throat> as to as to uh, you know gigantic earthquakes. But uh, um, I, I you know I I was um, uh, watching this uh, documentary the other day and. It was about the uh, the volcano, uh, Pompeii, uh, that exploded and uh, had an effect on the whole world. There was so much debris put up, it, it, it darkened the sky dar- and blotted out a lot of the rays of the sun. 
and uh, <clears throat> it caused a, a lot of uh, suffering on the earth. And one of the things that they said about that is that uh, the the power of that explosion uh, of that volcano was equivalent to three million hydrogen bombs, such as they was used in in Japan or on Japan. Three million. Now, all of the nations of the world today, uh, with all their inventory of bombs, do not have anything even close, not even close, to three million bombs. And uh, and especially, you know, the the the, the bomb the, uh, that they're talking about uh, was a you know was a heavy uh, a detonation type of bomb. It, it, it was it, it was very very powerful. So you need to get this down, ladies and gentlemen, this message, and not not uh, you know be ready to uh, to scare out on every little uh, uh, thing that comes up. And I don't consider this thing. Uh, with Japan, a little thing, but I'm talking about little things as far as what people say, and and uh, so I, I I want you to you know if you're going to believe this word, you need to believe it, and you need to understand that uh, uh, it's it's the word of God, it's what Jesus taught, it's what the Bible says that He taught, and and uh, if you're going to believe the word of God, then you need to believe it and not believe just what somebody else is telling you or saying that is what they believe is their interpretation. And I know there's someone right now that's making a prophecy that the end of, that the world is going to end in May the 21st of this year. Uh, I don't believe that for one second. That's just a totally false uh, pronunciation, and I know it. And you'll soon find out that it's not true. And, and uh, there will be, when it doesn't happen, there will be some excuse for why... Uh, you know, they had misfigured something and they made a mistake. They'll have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, but but get a hold of this, people. Uh, we're living on a planet Earth. This this is a is a, a dangerous place to live, and and uh, you know people know that uh, you know if 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 you live uh, <coughs> on the coast uh, and the rim of fire, uh, where there is an absolute known thing that the um, there are subduction zones there, uh, and the the tectonic plates are uh, going to shift, and they're going to uh, buckle. Uh, if you remember the flood of Noah's time, it says the foundations of the deep were broken up. So, I mean, these things just go back in time. They just are something that is in a continuum. And, and uh, when these cycles come around, there's, you know, fearful things that will happen on the earth. And and if you know if you you want to live uh, uh, somewhere, or you're forced to live there, where it has uh, you know a record of uh, uh, tsunamis or earthquakes or tornadoes, uh, then you know you have to do everything you can to protect yourself to survive, uh, so that if any of those things occur, that you can survive them. And if you don't do that, well then, you know that's all that you can be told. And uh, we certainly feel sorry for any of the people that suffer. But but things like this that are happening, there's going to be more of it. And they are not signs. They are not signs of the end of the world. That is not what it taught in the book of Luke or in the 24th chapter of, 
of uh, Matthew. And I've said that in my past teachings. I'm going to say it again, uh, you know, because Jesus said this is not the end. You're going to have wars and rumors of wars. You're going to have these things. It is not the end. It's just the beginning. And uh, so, okay, so much for that. But I, I, wa- I wanted to share that with you people who may be, uh, you know, just over-concerned. Uh, I, I think it's good to be compassionate and, and to be very concerned and, and to pray for for any people anywhere that are suffering. Okay, now <clears throat> we want to talk about, uh, you know, this trans-assimilation and exactly what it means. We want to talk about, uh, we're going we're gonna to get into a little bit, uh, I don't know how much, uh, about the kinsman-redeemer thing, because it actually all ties in to, to this revelation. Uh, but I think, you know, I want to go back I, uh, and talk again about Abraham and uh, what God uh, said to Abraham, what, what, what the... the the uh, thing was that that God made a covenant with Abraham, and he was visited by angels, and uh, these angels, uh, you know, uh, gave him revelation of uh, of things that uh, were going to happen in the world, and there was some um, absolutely uh, unusual uh, uh, things that were were said to Abraham that if you really took it to heart, if you really took it to fact, uh, then it would it would change the whole nature of what people are thinking about, you know, the people of uh, uh, of the Arab nations and and Israel. Uh, you know, it's it's just uh, it's just very 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 important that that is understood. Now, what I am leading up to, and what I want to say, and I mentioned this uh, last week, that Abraham. Uh, did, that was not his name in the beginning. It was just Abram. It was Abram. And then God um, uh, changed his name and uh, began to call him Abraham. In the, uh, you know, in the, in the um, uh, 17th uh, chapter of Genesis, uh, it says, and, and when Abraham, or Abram, pardon me, was 90 years old and nine. So that's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And, and Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for uh, me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein wherein thou art stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Now, when this promise is being made here, 
It says, I will establish my covenant between me, this is verse 7, and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. And uh, I think, you know, one of the things that's caused all the wars between Israel and the Arab nations <coughs> is scriptural interpretation. Because, uh, you know, there's the idea that there's all these lands that are supposed to be, uh, you know, belongs to the, to the seed of Abraham. And uh, there are uh, uh, people that think that that is exclusive. Excuse me. I hope I don't have to do too many sneezes. Um, there are people that think that's just exclusive to the Jews. But this is very, very clear what the Bible teaches. Um, you know, the, the children that were, um, uh, were, were born by these uh, other wives of Abraham, uh, they were also called the, the seed. For instance, in the 21st chapter of Genesis, uh, here's what it says. And this is after Sarah had made the decision that Hagar and her son uh, Ishmael had to leave the camp, had to, had to leave and, and, and you know, not, she didn't want her to be there uh, to share with, uh, with uh, the, their son Isaac, uh, you know. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, verse 12, uh, verse 11, And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son, meaning Israel. Uh, okay, so he he loved Israel. Israel was about thirteen years old at that time, and uh, and Abraham, uh, God said to Abraham, uh, "Let it not be grievous in thy sight, because of the lad, of uh, the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. All that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken to her voice, uh, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called." Now, a lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of meaning in this thing. Thy seed will be established. Thy seed will be called. And there's other terms like that. That doesn't mean that because the seed is going to be established uh, through Isaac uh, and is going to be called through Isaac, that that is, is an elimination then of all the other seed. Because he goes right on after saying that in verse uh, uh, 13, and also of the son of the bondswoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. <clears throat> now I hope that you're all listening to this. I hope that you're getting it. He is thy seed. You know. And and so then Hagar uh, was forced to go uh, out of the, the camp of Abraham and, and, and his wife. Uh, and uh, she uh, uh, then uh, she then came into um, um, uh, a place where she didn't have substance for her son and herself, uh, but an angel was sent. And uh, the angel said to her, God opened your eyes. And when he opened her eyes, uh, she saw a well of water, and she filled the bottle with water and gave drink to her son. And uh, And then in verse 21... And I'm reading this for a purpose, because you'll see when I get into some of the other scriptures. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, P-A-R-A-N. And his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. So he dwelt in the land of Paran. So um, uh, uh, Sarah 
and Abraham had Isaac, but, uh, uh, you know, Abraham and Hagar had Israel. And, uh, and he was also the seed of Abraham. And you've got to get that down. You've got to understand that. Because if you don't understand it, you are going to miss out on the real revelation of the truth, and and uh, you're going to you're not going to understand why uh, there's such turmoil between uh, you know the various uh, seed of uh, Abraham, and uh, a lot of it is you know it's got to do with this uh, apparently exclusivity token uh, that is not understood in its fullness. The Jews just don't just don't have this down. I am not belittling, you know, the Jews. Uh, you know, uh, the Bible says uh, first to Ju- Judea and then to Samaria. But don't forget, uh, it doesn't say first to uh, first to uh, Judea and that's it. So once you've done that, that's all you have to do. No, after you make the the deliverance uh, uh, and give them the first recognition as of as a firstborn. Then there is still blessings left over, and uh, then then to Samaria. I'm not trying to make Samaria. I know who the Samarians are. I'm just using that as an example to show how that applies to uh, you know these these other uh, uh, seed of, of Abraham. So <clears throat> we're 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 beginning to see then that that story develops, <clears throat> and uh, uh, as time goes on. Uh, you know, uh, we've, we've got, uh, Isaac and, uh, and, uh, and Rebecca and, uh, you know, um, uh, Rebecca is pregnant and she has, uh, twins. Uh, this is 25th chapter of Genesis, the 23rd verse. And the Lord said, uh, two nations are in your womb, two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels and the one shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger and when her days uh, to deliver were fulfilled uh, and the first came out red uh, all over like a hairy garment and they called his name Esau and after that came out his brother and his his hand took hold on Esau's heel and his name was called Jacob and Isaac was threescore years old when uh, she bare them and the boys grew. Now, most of you should be aware of the scripture that interprets and says, God hated Esau, but loved Jacob. Now, you know, <clears throat> that is an absolutely misrepresentation of God. God is not like that, never has been like that. But what you've got is uh, people who have, who have ministered, people who have been prophets, people who have been scribes. And and they uh, stood in uh, a place that we do a teaching called um, God is Represented. That's not our teaching tonight. There are lots of scriptures to support that. Uh, and they are representing God. So a lot of times, you know, it's like people that receive the gift of prophecy. Uh, there's people that receive the gift of prophecy, and they say, Thus saith the Lord God. And that human being that may be saying that could be Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, or, or some other person in modern times. And some person not knowing how the spirit of, of prophecy works by the Holy Spirit would look at that person and say, What? Are you claiming to be the, the, the Lord God? 
They said, no, no, I'm not. Well, you just said, thus saith the Lord God. Yeah, but uh, what I'm uh, saying is by the Spirit. Uh, I am speaking this by the Spirit, uh, and it's God speaking through me. And it's, and but I'm just I'm just you know representing God as a as a vessel a mediumship uh, through which God can 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 work. Um, now that's when it is happening through uh, the oracle of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there are decisions, there are all kinds of other operations that a person is involved in for God. It's not necessarily uh, being <clears throat> uh, revealed by the Holy Spirit, but just being revealed as each person uh, feels that uh, they are uh, being led by their feelings or by, by their intuitiveness uh, to do something, and they believe that they're doing that uh, in the name of God or uh, by the will of God. But lots of times, there are many examples in the Bible, all through the Bible, in which people thought they were doing something uh, by the will of God. And and it led to uh, <clears throat> terrible uh, situations. Uh, people were killed, uh, uh, all kinds of dishonoring, all kinds of tragedies uh, were involved when people uh, sometimes moved, uh, you know, thinking that they were in the will of God. Uh, you could see that between the Protestants and the Catholics. The Catholics thought they were doing things in the will of God. The Protestants thought they were doing things in the will of God. And and uh, and both of them were doing uh, terrible, <coughs> terrible consequential things uh, against, uh, you know, uh, humanity, against, against, you know, human beings that were really brothers of, of them. So, uh, this thing about hate, the, man, the Manifest Peace Bible um, uh, uh, interprets that, translates that differently. It says, you know, God loved, uh, God loved Jacob, but God loved Esau less. It doesn't say hated him, it said he, he loved Esau less. And the reason he loved him less is because he couldn't love him more, because Esau just would not, was not receptive to God. And and love is a two-way street, you know, and and so uh, therefore God loved uh, Esau less, but God didn't hate him, and we're going to see that why that is so important as we get into this revelation of uh, eternal security, and uh, the eternal revelation of of this uh, <coughs> message of the firstborn, and this this, this message, you know, uh, that. Is so important uh, to to uh, take into the fullness uh, perspective of your vision, uh, because uh, without the clarity of that, uh, there's a lot of uh, perishability uh, at hand. Because the Bible does say that without a, vi a vision, the people will perish. <clears throat> okay, now um, uh, we're going to let this thing with with Jacob and Esau. Uh, 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 sit, uh, but there are um, there are some other very interesting uh, prophecies that uh, that were made uh, by the angel by the Lord uh, to, um, uh, to to Abraham uh, about uh, you know uh, Israel and Isaac and and uh, Esau. Uh, there are. Uh, 
uh, scriptures in which God spoke to to Abraham, and he says, look, he said, uh, I'm going to bless uh, this other son, and uh, I, I'm, he's going to become a great nation, and there's going to be 12 princes uh, that are going to come out of him. And these princes, of course, were uh, considered like dukes. They were considered dukes. These were, you know, uh, nobility and royal. And we will be talking later about the dukes and and um, some of these futuristic things, uh, how they tie into this revelation. You know, it, it is uh, just so absolutely vitally important. Okay, now... <coughs> Um, let's let's um, let's then um, let's then talk about <clears throat> let's talk about a scripture um, in Habakkuk three three. If you turn with me to your book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk <clears throat> Habakkuk three three, and uh, it's um, it's very interesting uh, what it says. And I know a lot of people have really, really wondered about it uh, because it, it's uh, such a pro- pronounced uh, statement. It, it just, uh, <coughs> it almost uh, seems questionable. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Now, Rebecca, um, Habakkuk 3, 3, um, says that God came from Teman. Teman? My, my, my. God came from Teman? Yeah. This is um, uh, Habakkuk 3. Uh, and let's look at it. Um, verse 3. God came from Teman. Capital T-E-M-A-N. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Remember that I told you back there, I said, you know, where Hagar was with her son in the wilderness of Paran? I said, don't forget that. Okay, God came from Paran. And His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. And His brightness was as a light, and He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Now, I want you to know that this incredible thing, God came from Teman. This this is about the dukes. This is about the people, you know, that are tied into Esau. And the Bible is saying God came from Teman. Why would God come from Teman if God hated Esau? And why would the glory of God come from, you know, Mount Paran and the earth be full of the praise of God if this is about the land where the Edomites, which were the offspring, where the word Edom means red, that was one of the, the you know, the color that was the symbol of, of Esau, why would that statement be made? It, it seems almost contradictory. It's very, very important. Now that it is tied in uh, to the wonderful revelation 
now that it is tied into the wonderful revelation of Jesus Christ, is, is very apparent. Because I read to you um, in the fourth verse, and his brightness, talking about the Lord, was a light, was as a light. And he had horns, which the other meaning of that, interpreted through the Bible, instead of horns like the horns of an animal, is rays of light. He had rays of light coming out of his hand. And there was the hiding of his power. And it's talking about the experience with Jesus Christ and his hands and, and, and how powerful that that experience I, I, I wrote the song, I think I sung it last week, Whose Hands Are These? Wounded and Bleeding. Whose Hands Are These That Touch the Multitude? It's beautiful. Beautiful song. And so here is a connection with God came from Teman, God came from Paran, with the offspring, of the, which is the Edomites, which is which is the offspring of Esau. Now, there are all kinds of other very important revelations. And uh, there is another scripture. In fact, uh, I, I do some manifest, manifest on this in the next blog that will be coming out very shortly. And that uh, next blog that is coming out is about... Uh, the third um, uh, revelation on the uh, crop circles. And it talks about the scripture that says, um, you know, um, make this valley full of ditches. This is in Second Kings. And to make this valley full of ditches, and it's talking about that um, there's going to be this spiritual flood that's going to happen. And uh, the prophet says, now you are not going to see a wind, you're not going to see or hear uh, wind, and you're, you're not going to see rain. But suddenly, the whole valley is going to be full of waters. And this is, this, the prophecy is, there's coming a flood of waters. There's coming waters by, by the way of Edom. This is tying back into this revelation, again, about Edom. Why would this be so in such revelatory deepness and such an oracle of impressive uh, glory? Why would this be a thing that was important to emphasize if this person was just a castaway, hopeless castaway who sold his birthright and, and he was going to cast into hell and uh, he had no hope, his offspring had no hope, and uh, all this thing about princes, the princes that he that would come out of uh, those other children of uh, uh, of Abraham, uh, and be likened unto all of the other children that were not uh, <clears throat> of the called, or of the ones that were going to be established uh, for this uh, headship or ministry ship of of the offspring of Abraham. Uh, and all the revelation of Abraham's bosom. Uh, 
because Abraham's bosom isn't just for the children of, of Israel, or, or which you, you don't have too many of the children of Israel except the, the, the children of, of, of Judah and, and uh, part of Benjamin. Most of the, the children of Israel, the tribes are lost. So even when we say Israel, the last the word El meaning God, uh, we're really talking about the Jews being, you know, uh, talking about the Jews being being Judah, and and, and part of the the uh, tribe of Benjamin. Uh, why is there this lack of understanding? Well, this lack of understanding is all got to do with how the Word of God has been misinterpreted. And and how that there you know are the are these wars and 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 there are these there are these agnostics that say huh, they've been fighting since the beginning of the Bible over these so-called holy lands which are mostly desert and because they think that God said that's to be for the offspring of of Abraham. And uh, and they think that the offspring of Abraham is only the Jews. But as I read to you, and there are other other cases, several other scriptures, that there's many nations that are the offspring of, of Abraham. And they are his seed. So, though the prophecies are fulfilled because it's his seed, uh, Abraham's seed, that are possessing those lands. So you've got people trying to, to war and to fulfill... Uh, a prophecies which they have twisted around to be something different than it is. And that's why you've got war, because people have misconstrued, misinterpreted, mistranslated the Scripture, and you've got this, this war. And then you've got this unforgiveness. People just want anyone they don't like to go to hell and stay there and burn forever and suffer while, while they're at it. They have nothing to do with the love of God. Nothing to do with them. They don't even understand what the love of God is. The love of God doesn't associate with that kind of thinking. The ultimate plan of God is God so loved the world. Not God so loved certain people in the world. He so loved the world. That was an incorporation of all the human beings on the entire whole planet that had lived in the past, lived in the present, and were to live in the future. That he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world that much. He loves them all. We're going to be into this in a deep way with this tie into the trans assimilation because of this absolutely important revelation. It's just absolutely essentially important. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, now um, let's uh, let's just look at uh, you know some. Uh, very, very interesting things. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to get into uh, again. I, I read last week from Ezekiel 16. We got to just go over that real fast, okay? Not going to spend a lot of time on it, but but it's important. It's absolutely, <laughs> I guess we should say, almost essential uh, to to people that really understand what God is saying, okay? Uh, in the 16th uh, chapter. And I read to you last week where um, uh, God is speaking to the children of, of Jerusalem. And he's saying, look, you've got ideas about these other people. And, and you look down on them. 
you you think that they're grease, that they're just absolute junk, and that you are uh, a hierarchy of uh, royalty uh, compared to them. But let me let me tell you what the facts are. And this is Ezekiel 16. Uh, you know, um, he said, Here, here's the facts. Verse 46. Thine elder sister is Samaria, and she and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand, and thy younger sister that dwell at thy right hand is Sodom, like Sodom and Gomorrah, and her daughters. Yet thou hast not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but if that were a very little thing, thou wast corrupted, corrupted more sinful, more evil, that's what it's saying, than they in all your ways. As I live, saith the Lord, Sodom and thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughter as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of, the, of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her, and her idleness was, yet yeah, her idleness uh, was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. It doesn't say I took them away as I, uh, you know, as I saw evil. I just wanted to just punish them and and forever. It's not what it says. That's not what the Bible teaches. I took them away as I saw good. Sometimes people are destroyed for their for their good because they are just headed into a godless direction. Neither hath Samaria. Samaria committed half of your sins. What? You know how the Jews look down on Samaria. They disdain them. But here it is, in the Word of God, by one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, Ezekiel. Neither has Samaria committed half of thy sins, but thou hast multiplied multiplied thy abominations more than they, and hast justified thy sisters in all thine abominations. Now, just like last week, the topic of this chapter, chapter 16, if you look at verse 1, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. So we're, we're talking about Jerusalem, the people of Judah. Jerusalem, people of Israel, compared to these other nations, as to the spirituality level. Okay, let's go back now to our, our verse. Uh, we just read uh, verse uh, 51. Neither has Samaria committed half of your sins, but you have a, you have multiplied uh, thine abominations more than they, and you've justified thy sisters in all thine abominations which thou hast done. Thou also which hast judged thy sisters, bear thine own shame for thy sins that thou hast committed more abominable than they. They are more righteous than thou. I, I hope you're catching this. I hope you're gluing it in. I hope you you got some little, uh, you know, uh, porous places that normally just allow all these things to go through you and have no memory retention uh, to be sealed up so that these things will stick with you. Because they're salvation points. Says says they are, you've been more abominable. and, and, And they are more righteous. More righteous. Come on. 
than you. Be thou confounded, and bear thy shame, in that thou hast justified thy sisters. The, the things that these people do, that they, Jerusalem people, also want to do, then they justify it. But if they do something that Jerusalem doesn't do, then they condemn it. And that's what it's saying here. But be, be confounded in verse 53, when I shall bring again their captivity, the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, the captivity of Samaria, her daughters, I will bring again the captivity of the captives in the midst of them. And that thou mayest bear thine own shame, and mayest be confounded in all that thou hast done, and that thou art a comfort unto them when thy daughters and sisters, uh, when thy sisters Sodom and her daughters shall return, shall return to their former estate, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former estate. Then thou. Uh, then thou and thy daughters shall return to, to your former estate. So here we have, by the proof of the word of the Bible, these people returning uh, you know, to, their, to their former estates. And uh, it's just absolutely, incredibly important uh, that, that there is an understanding of what the Bible is, is you know, really saying on this. Because uh, without that understanding... Uh, we miss the, the teaching of eternal uh, justification. Uh, we get into this narrow-minded uh, uh, thing about about judging. Uh, it is just such a sham uh, of of mistaught uh, idioms uh, that it has cast a shadow upon the Bible and made people uh, not want to believe the Bible because they've turned it into such a bloody, hateful book. And, and uh, I, I tell you, this message uh, that I am ministering to you is absolutely uh, extremely important. And it's extremely important that you hear it, that, uh, that you are able to, uh, to understand it, because, uh, you know, if, if, if you misunderstanding it, uh, you will miss uh, a great part of Revelation that uh, God is speaking uh, to you about, because this is certainly uh, one of the things that 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 God is uh, is wanting to wanting to reveal. He's wanting to, you know, to to make it understood uh, in in such a way that it, it just uh, will not be missed. And by understanding this. Uh, in the truth, and and in in the way that it is uh, supposed to be understood, uh, it just makes it makes it beautiful. That's what it does. It just makes it beautiful. Okay, now <coughs> um, I'm going to um, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to I'm going to reveal something here absolutely beautiful. Uh, just 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 super beautiful. Uh, let's see if I can find this real fast. <laughs> it's in the book of uh, uh, Revelations. Um, just a second here. So, so what uh, I I want to get into is. Um, 
this um, revelation about Jesus Christ when he is uh, riding the white horse. And it talks about that uh, he also has a vesture, that he has a vesture on him um, that is, um, uh, you know, blood-stained. He has this vesture that is blood-stained. And um, uh, it is um, uh, quite uh, an incredible revelation because... um, it is talking about uh, a revelation that I have never in all of my life, in all of my life, I have never heard it taught on. I have never heard anyone ever teach on this revelation uh, that I'm about to share with you. And uh, so I just hope that uh, uh, you you will receive and, and take this into your uh heart and mind uh, in the way that uh, I have it to share with you because uh, it is it's so awesome when the Lord was speaking to this to me the other day uh, I just swallowed I thought oh my god that is so sensational that is so absolutely tremendous uh, okay here's here's how the revelation goes. It's talking about the vestures of of uh, that Christ is wearing as he is uh, warring, you know, on this this white horse ministry, and how that this uh, vesture is uh, covered with with blood, and uh, <clears throat> it's in the nineteenth um, chapter. 19th chapter of uh, of the book of Revelations. And we'll start with the 11th verse. <clears throat> and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written, no man knew but he himself. And, and, and I dare to say that there is a revelation about Jesus Christ. And it is a gigantic revelation. And, and no common man uh, knows that name. It's only known as it is incorporated in who Jesus Christ is. And only when you are into that incorporation of Jesus Christ, into that transassimilation, can you know that name? Otherwise, you can think that you know Jesus, Yahshua, but it can be like the, the, the virgins, the wise ones and the foolish ones, like the foolish ones came up to the, to the door and, and they wanted in at the wedding supper time of the Lamb. And he said, "Go away! I, I know you. I never knew you. I never knew you." And they were stunned because they didn't understand that they didn't know his name. They didn't really know his the truth about the revelation of Jesus Christ. They just thought that they knew, but they didn't really know the revelation. 
And so it goes on, it says, and verse 13, Revelations 19, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Now, someone say, well, that's because, you know, there's all this war going on, and he was just killing people and and uh, spearing them through or shooting them down, and and it was so bloody that uh, you know he he got he got blood all over his clothes, and uh, you know that's that's what happened. He got blood all over his clothes. Oh, is that right? And you think that that is how that goes, huh? Well, um, we're going to show you that that is not the revelation at all of what that means. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Wow. Wow. Okay. Turn with me to the 63rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 63. And we'll sort of make our point here so we can move on to the next uh, next part of this. That is the revelation that I want to get into. You know, the 63rd chapter, I think I said, didn't I? Yeah. Okay, 63. Now get this. Hang and hold. Who is this that cometh from Edom? I remember Edom means red. It's tied into Esau. That's his name, his offspring. The Bible says Esau was called Edom. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Boraz? That this, that that this is glorious in his apparel, uh, apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fats? Now look how this is going from blood to someone who is treading in the in the the wine press, the wine fats of the grapes. And this red is like blood on the vesture. You you, you begin to see, a, 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 you know, a transassimilation of thought here. And I have trodden the winepress alone, and the people, there were none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will... I, I uh, will stain all my raiments, for the day of vengeance is in my heart. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered, and there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation into, unto me, and my fury it was upon me. Wow. And I will tread down the people in my anger, and make them drunk in my fury, and will bring them down and will bring down their strength to the earth. And I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord. Oh, why would you mention it at such a time as that? Sounds like you're involved in a slaughter. But you're really 
there's another revelation here, isn't there, Lord? And you will mention the loving kindness of the Lord. And according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to the mercies, according to the multitudes of his loving kindness. For he has said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. Ah, oh, but they have rebelled. And <laughs> goes on. Okay. Now, here is the revelation. This blood upon the garment, the vesture, this blood that it mentions here in the 66th, 63rd chapter of, of Isaiah, is really about the blood of the Indomians, of the, who is this that cometh from Edom? with dyed garments. Art thou red in thine apparel? Have you been treading the wine press? This is about Edom. We're coming back to, to Esau. Remember that God hateth? The only thing that God hates about Esau is the abominations and a sin. But God despises that in all of the people. He despises it because He loves the people and He doesn't want them to be eradicated and destroyed by the sins. Now, you remember people talked about, you know, there's room at the cross. They talk about the blood coming out of the forehead of Jesus from the thorns and the, the blood coming out of His side that was riveted. They talk about all about the blood and the songs people sing. You know, uh, there's power in the blood. People haven't really understood that song. Haven't really understood that revelation. Because here's the blood again on the vestures of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you that this blood, according to Isaiah 63 and and the 19th chapter of Revelation, is about the blood of these people who were more righteous than the people of Jerusalem, than the people of Israel, and who had not committed even half of the sins that they had, but because that they were under this particular protective covenant. They were allowed to keep on, but nevertheless, you know, if you just think about it, Israel has been through a, a terrible time of suffering and war and blemish, and it has not been... Uh, a happy, happy time. Very few times in the history of of uh, Israel have they had uh, true peace. Very few. Now, what is the story here? It's incredible, but who has ever thought of it? That upon the garments of Jesus, Jesus has also carried the blood. The the the, the blood. Whose blood was that? Was that? You know, well, he was carrying upon the the blood. You know, one of the, one of the things that the Bible says the blood represents is life. He was carrying the symbol, like the DNA of the of the Indomians of of Esau and his offspring, and of the offspring of uh, these other children of Abraham. 
And Abraham was changed from Abram to Abraham because he's the father of, of the nations of the world. Because even if he's not in any way, not even in one iota uh, responsible genetically for some of these other nations, he still has been awarded that title so that he is still the father of all them. That's why he is the head of, of the revelation of, of the bosom of Abraham, which is the place where all of the, the spirits go. That, that leave bodies and are in this terminal of, of uh, interlude uh, between transitions. He's in charge of that. And so, there is a covenant also. And God spoke and says, hey, I'm going to make great nations out of these people. They're going to be a great people. They're going, to, they're going to have royalty and princes and they're going to have dukes. And they, they had some understanding about royalty that, that Israel didn't even have. And they advanced in the arts and advanced in maths and advanced in all kinds of things that, that, that Israel for a long time did not. And yet God called Israel. His call was upon them. And, and when God puts a call upon a nation to anoint a nation, that call, that anointing, stays on uh, th that person and their offspring and their offspring and on and on and on and, until th that can be fulfilled. But in the meanwhile, that doesn't mean the eradication and the forever dumping into hell the other offspring. And so on the vestures the very garments that Jesus wore, he was wearing the blood symbol of all these other people and carrying it into the spiritual warfare uh, against the forces of darkness. For the Bible says in Ephesians, our war is not against flesh and blood, it's against the powers and the principalities in spiritual places. And that's where the war on the white horse was taking place. And all the army of the people of Jesus were all dressed in white linen. They weren't dressed for, for a, a war where they were going to be spilling uh, literal blood as, as some kind of exhibit of, of death and suffering. Uh, they were, they were in a, prepared for a spiritual uh, uh, situation. Spiritual gifts of God against spiritual gifts of the dark forces. And so this, this is this incredible revelation. This is what we want to share with you in this thing about regeneration and in this thing that we're now going to dig deeper into, trans-assimilation. And it's just so absolutely important. Turn with me to the book of the Gospel of John and let's get into, uh, I think it's John chapter 6. The Gospel of John chapter 6. And let's just look at one of the most controversial things that Jesus ever said and that he ever taught. Blessed be the name of God. And this is, this is what Jesus said, uh, chapter 6. Verse 51. I am 
the living bread, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Is that correct? Or is it supposed to be the life of the Jews? No, the life of the world. I will give it for the life of the world. God so loved the world. That includes all of these other nations that were part of the, the vision of the stars of heaven. As the stars of heaven. And the Jews themselves strove among themselves. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What? Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Someone says, oh, that can't be true. I'm, I'm alive. I've got life. It's just not true. And I haven't eaten His flesh and I haven't drank His blood. No, you don't understand what He said. You have no life of the Son of Man in you. You have no life of Jesus Christ in you. Because that's what transassimilation is. That's not only taking on the spiritual things of Christ, but is, is emphatically, at the utmost level here, taking on the life that Christ lived and overcame in the flesh. And that life was the blood of Jesus Christ. So his blood that he shed on the cross, the most important thing about that shedding on the cross, was he was shedding his life, the life that he chose to live. Well, when he was speaking, he would say things like, you know, uh, I do not speak my own ideas and thoughts, but I speak uh, what, whatever is the will of my Father which is in heaven. And whatsoever he tells me, that is what I speak. And this Jesus says that except you eat my flesh. Now, you, you can receive him in the spiritual idea. And say, well, you know, I'm just receiving him in the spiritual idea. He was a spiritual man and all that. But the Bible says, except you recognize that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, you are an antichrist. You are actually antichrist to the revelation of Jesus Christ. You do not know his real name. And you will never know it until by transassimilation you become a part of who Jesus Christ is by eating the flesh, and drinking the blood of Christ. In other words, taking on that physical aspect of Jesus Christ. Don't get carried away in this thing of what it's going to be like in the, in the by and by, where you'll understand it, uh, it all in the by and by, and where you'll then be in heaven forever and ever and ever. There's going to be a, a many forevers going on on this earth before the end of time. It's going to go on and on and on. It's a continuum. This son of ours isn't going to burn out for billions of years. Some will say, oh, no, I, I, I just can't receive that. Yeah, well, except you eat the flesh of Jesus Christ and drink his blood, you have no life of Jesus Christ in you. You may think you do, but you do not. Now, this, someone says, oh, that, that's, really, that's really difficult. Yeah, that's what they told Jesus. They said, we, we can't hardly accept this. Well, they couldn't accept it because they had this idea 
that that literally meant uh, cannibalistically. We're to literally eat his flesh. And if we did that, well, you know, we, we, where would we start? On his arm, on his leg, on his head, his neck, his back? And there'd be all these big bite marks and pieces of missing flesh. Uh, that, that's cannibalistic. No, I don't believe that. But they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He was, John chapter 1, he was the word made flesh. So that if you ate the word that was made flesh, then when you ate the flesh, you were eating the word. You ate, get this down, if you ate the flesh the word that was made flesh, if you ate the word that was made flesh, then when you ate the flesh, you were eating the word, because it was the word that was made flesh. So that's the real incredibility of it. And that's the story of the transassimilation. And, and, and that's why it's so important to understand that the people that are going to overcome is they are going to overcome by, by, uh, through Jesus Christ. They're, they're not going to overcome in their own name. They're not going to overcome by their own merits. They're not going to overcome by how good they've been or how bad they've been. They're going to overcome by taking on the life of Jesus Christ, by trans-assimilating the life, which is the blood. And they're going to do it not when they become an angel in heaven, uh, not when they become, uh, uh, you know, uh, totally perfected. They're going to do it now in this mortal body, in these fleshly bodies, and they're going to come to a consciousness realization uh, of, of that Christ uh, was able to do this. And now he is, he is going to give us salvation, salvage us, all through his name, through the life that he lived in the flesh. Not the life that, that, not the life that he lived, uh, you know, before the angels fell. Not the life that he lived in the first domain. But the life that he lived in the flesh. And if anybody denies that he came in the flesh, they are an antichrist. They are against the whole idea of the anointing. Because the anointing is what Christ means and what, gave, what gives life uh, to this whole understanding. Which is just absolutely sensational. God came from Teman. Teman is tied in to the offspring of, of, of Esau. God came from there. And the glory of the Holy One from Mount Paran. That's all tied into the land of the Edomites and the journeys of the of the children of Edom. And when you understand that, they are the seed of Abraham. How many people have sung that song? I I, I remember once I was uh, my wife and I were attending a, an Episcopal church. And they were holding hands and they were singing, you know, Father Abraham, Father Abraham. And these were people that were Americans and all different nationalities. And they were claiming that Abraham was their father. And they were right. But did they really understand that? Because by, by understanding this thing about Father Abraham, They, they were addressing the one who appeared to Abraham, who had the power to forgive sins, who was obviously uh, Christ in his translational form uh, of an angel, 
but being the Lord, having power, power to forgive sins, uh, having power to do all these things that the Lord, like Jesus could, Christ, the uh, Yahweh could do. And so they were, they were, they were accepting also Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ with his revelation, especially as it was brought through John, was just absolutely sensational. Just absolutely sensational. Now there is so much that we want to cover, so much that we want to get into. And it so ties into, you know, eternal justification. You know, in Romans 11.26, it says, All Israel will be saved. All Israel. What? How can, how can you write a blank check and just say, it doesn't matter what they did, doesn't matter. You know, all Israel, what it's really saying, all Israel that accepts Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and transassimilates into Jesus Christ by His blood, His life, in the flesh, that they will be saved. That's, that's what it's saying. That's exactly what it's saying. Now, there are some beautiful scriptures. Ephesians 1.4 says, According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundations of the, of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And we see this um, beautiful prophecy that we were destined before the foundations of the world. Jeremiah in 1, 5 through 12 said, Before I was born, before I was formed in, in, in the belly, I knew thee. Before I was even formed in the belly, I knew thee. Now, know one of these people, these, that, you know, live one life. <coughs> what do these people say? You only live one life. So, um, how could he have had a knowledge before he was born if he, he had never had any pre-existence? How could he have a knowledge of such a thing? I hope you're listening to me. I hope you're taking this in. <coughs> before he was born. Wow. Before he was formed in the mother's womb, he knew God. Listen to this. Wow. Okay. <coughs> I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I, I, I sacrificed thee, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Wow. Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord. I cannot speak. I'm a child. <coughs> and the Lord said, Say not, I am a child. You know, that message is out there for you people. Any of you people say, Oh, you know, this stuff is just so deep. I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm just, you know, insignificant. I'm, I'm just a child. And, and God is saying to you, Say not that you are a child. Say not that you're insignificant. Say not that this is over your head and you can't do it. God is speaking to you and telling you that. Do not put yourself in that. <clears throat> Verse 9 
of the uh, fifth chapter of Jeremiah. Behold, um, it says, Did the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth? And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Then verse 10, <clears throat> See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and destroy, and to throw down, and to build, <clears throat> and to plant. That is the most incredible thing. Here you are, just one little individual. Like Jeremiah was just one individual. And when the anointing and the power of God touched his mouth, and the word was in him, that was significant to be equal. To be in over nations and over kingdoms and having the power to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. You can make a difference of what, go, what is going on in the world. You can affect nations and kingdoms. You have the power. You have the power. If you would just... Stop saying, I am a child. I can't do it. You have the power. Once God has anointed you, your mouth and, and the Holy Spirit has anointed you to speak, you have the power over nations and kingdoms. You can root out corruption. You can pull down evil uh, dictatorships. You can throw down Things that have been built that are just absolutely without compassion or mercy. And you, you can begin to build and to plant, even though you never take a trip to that nation or never speak their language. You have the power, according to this Word of God, to do all of those things. And that is also the power of trans-assimilation. Romans 8.29 For whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. You, you are predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son. And, and this was so that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You have to understand in this kinsman redeemer, <clears throat> this, this relationship, this kinsman relationship, Wow. These things are just so important and they're so beautiful. They have such real application. <coughs> sure, there's something going on right now. There's, there's a time of waiting. Romans uh, 8, 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You'll have a liberty that you didn't earn, that you don't deserve, except through Jesus Christ by transassimilation, when you begin to take on His life and His blood, which is His life. Wow! Does that mean that you'll act like and look like Jesus Christ? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the express love. It's talking about 
how that he obeyed his Father's will. It's talking about who he is as Lord over all of us, and yet still as kinsman redeemer, that we, that we will be able to do these things through the liberty because we have taken on by transassimilation his image. Wow. David wrote, I think it was David, Psalms 82.1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. <laughs> Jesus said, you are gods. When you come awake to that realization, you are gods. Then, you know, you know sons of God, gods. Jesus said, I'm the son of God. Why are you so excited out there? You people don't want to kill me. The Bible says, says you are, are gods, and, and the word can't be broken. You can't break it. I want to tell you the same thing, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ is your kinsman redeemer, and that, that cannot be broken. All that is necessary of you is to accept Jesus Christ as your salvation, not just as an act of the Spirit, but also as an act of His life, His human mortal life on earth, who by, in Hebrews it says, by many tears and many hard prayers was He able to overcome. That's what it says in the Bible. You have to understand who you really are and how that you're living in this earthly house, but it, but it is still Bethel. It is still a very important uh, temple for the Holy Ghost right now. But you have to remember that one day when, when this is over and finished, Second Corinthians five one through three, for we know that if our earthly house of the of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You already have in heaven, an eternal house. Your soul is in heaven, the heaven of heavens. And if your body just dissolved and disappeared as any connection to this physical world and physical universe, your existence would just automatically pop up because you would already have an eternal positioning, an eternal stationing or station in the first domain because you have a soul. And that's what the incredible, powerful thing of a soul is. And, and a, a lot of this reconciliation is recognition of those truths. Coming into the recognition of those truths. Without coming into the recognition of those truths, you, 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 really, you really can't, uh, can't understand. Second Corinthians 5, 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing <clears throat> that while we are at home in the body, the human body, the mortal, we are absent from the Lord, talking about that eternal home. Those are just so absolutely important and beautiful. They're just so important for God, for you know, for everybody to know and to understand. Now, what is this kinsman redeemer thing? Well, it goes back to the book of um, the Old Testament, Leviticus twenty-five twenty-five. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possessions, and if uh, any of the, his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. Now that's 
part of the revelation of the kinsman redeemer. Uh, that that your kinsman has the right to redeem your things uh, that would be lost to someone else uh, has 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 the right to to redeem it. And Christ, as the elder brother, who was the firstborn, that makes him the elder brother, is therefore made by that being the elder brother a kinsman redeemer for humankind. So in Romans 8.29 it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hebrews 2.11 For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. What? Hebrews 2.11 For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Matthew twenty five forty, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. You know that's almost like a, a atomic entanglement. Or there's this atom on one side of the universe and, and, and another atom on the other side of the universe. But whatever happens to this one atom on one side of the universe happens also to the other atom on the other side of the universe because they are entangled. They are actually one, even though they are separated by space. Space and time. So, in transassimilation... You are one. All, all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ. And, and as I was preaching last week, you know, where it talks about being born in the blood and, and the relativeness of that. And if you don't remember that, you need to go back and listen to that, that teaching last week again, the one before that. You know, play these, play these recordings. There are, there are recordings of these teachings, and you can play them back. And we've got it now so that so that you know you you can you can play these on your iPhone type of thing. It's just absolutely amazing to the extent of what we've tried to do to make it easy for you people to get this word psalms twenty two twenty two I will declare thy name among my brethren in the midst of the congregation I will praise thee acts seventeen twenty eight through twenty nine we are the offspring of God. In Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own people have said, for we are also His offspring. You really understand this. It is so powerful. It is so absolutely, incredibly powerful. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Kinsman Redeemer is a beautiful teaching, and, I, and that's not what I'm doing tonight, because that's... That's quite, uh, you know, an involved teaching. It goes back into the Old Testament and covers, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of things there about the the Deuteronomic uh, laws and and how that uh, that touches on this, uh, uh, you know, uh, kinsman redeemer revelation. But it does make the point that there is a relationship between uh, uh, Jesus Christ, Yahweh 
who is our kinsman redeemer, and he has this right as being a kinsman. Satan does not have that right. Satan is a, is a, is a cherubim. He, he's not an ophanim. He is not can, and cannot ever be a kinsman redeemer because he's not a kinsman. He's a cherubim. He is not an ophanim. But the Lord Jesus Christ is over all the ophanims. He's a kinsman redeemer of the ophanims. Wow. It says in Numbers 7, 27, 11, And if his father have no brethren, he shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family. And he shall possess it and shall be unto the children of Israel, and it shall be unto the children of Israel a statue of judgment. The Lord commanded Moses. Wow. That's the whole concept of Redeemer. When people are talking about Jesus redeeming, and that the whole idea of the concept of, of to be redeemed is the kinsman redeemer. That's where it comes from. That's what redeeming means. It's tied into the kinsman redeemer revelation. Wow. So these are the things that are absolutely essential uh, for for you to know and to understand. Because without understanding those. You just absolutely miss out on some wonderful, beautiful things. Jesus said, all Israel will be saved. In Isaiah 53.11, is speaking of Jesus as a prophecy. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. How does he redeem them? How does he redeem people that have committed all these sins? The sins that they committed before they ever came to this planet Earth. And the sins that they committed since they've been uh, to this planet Earth. Well, he's going to justify them by bearing their sins upon himself. And this is trans-assimilation. Takes it to himself the sins of the world and purges them and purifies them. Praise God. Praise God. Such beautiful things come out of understanding the power of eternal justification. So absolutely beautiful. This power of, internal, uh, of eternal justification applies to Esau. The Bible talks in other places in the Old Testament about that there are people that were not allowed to come into the into the temple to worship, but then it goes on to say that um, that after ten generations of time went by, then they would be able to come in. So we we see that the Bible has made provision for people that were that were not accepted, but after a gap, after a period of time, uh, then they were accepted, and so. It is so important in the revelation of all of that to understand, as I told you last week, sometimes there's only one interpreter in a thousand who has the insight into these kind of, of revelations. And we're talking about this church of the, uh, from heaven, you know, this church of the firstborn. Uh, and, and we're talking about Christ who is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of every creature. Some says, yeah, but, you know, I can't be an image of the invisible God. You can if you transassimilate through Jesus Christ. Come on, listen to what I just read to you. Colossians 1, 15 through 16. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Well, he's the firstborn of every creature. That makes him, he's talking about, makes as, it, as we read in that other scripture, he, he's the firstborn of the brethren. So we are all connected to him in this, in this kinship. And he is connected to us as the kinsman redeemer. Then, therefore, being connected to him as the kinsman redeemer, who is the image of the invisible God, then through Jesus Christ, we are able to take on that, that image to the, to the extent of Christ in the flesh of the invisible God. And now, suddenly, we are able to see things that no one has ever been, been able to see before. <clears throat> like when the angel made Hagar able to see a well of, of water right in front of her, and she and her ch child were dying of, of thirst. And her eyes were open, and right there was a well. And she could not see it before, and God opened her eyes. And then she, began to, she took the bottle and began to fill it with water. Wow. Yeah, this church is from heaven. Revelations 12.4 talks about the woman in heaven who is clothed with the sun. This is something that happened before the foundations of the world, of this earth. Wow. Just absolutely beautiful. Praise God. God wants to <clears throat> make every person his firstborn. But there's only one way you can become a firstborn. You have to do it like, like, like Jacob did to Esau. You have to have your hand on the heel of the firstborn. It doesn't have to have negative connotations. As in that instance, it can be that that you, you can be a that can be a connectedness to Jesus Christ. And you can be made a firstborn person through transassimilation to Jesus Christ who is the firstborn. And you're transassimilated to him. You walk through the gates of heaven you don't say, my name is John, my name is Peter, my name is Jerry Lee. You say, my name is Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, you're listed here. Come in, Jesus, as you're translated to him. In Revelation 22:16, Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring. He's not only the root from which you sprang. He is the offspring. includes all the people that spring from the root. And then he says, there's a miracle that will happen. Matthew 19.30, there's a miracle that will happen. The, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. There's going to be an inversion take place, so that you can experience the highest order by coming into Jesus Christ. It, it, it has a relational aspect to co-owning, where, you know, uh, two entities uh, two entities share the same space, the same unity of mind. Uh, now, it is not that highest degree of co-owning, but it does, have, it does share a, a relative factorship of it. Because, you know, in trans-assimilation, you take on the nature of Jesus Christ. Uh, by an understanding of the Spirit. 
Someone says, but I can't be like Jesus Christ. Say not, I am a child. Do not say that. That is not pleasing to God. Do not say that Christ cannot have his miracle. The miracle of Christ, you are part of it. You are a part of the miracle of Christ. The first will be last. The first will move back to make room for you to come in so that you can stand right there because there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions will come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. And so, at this point of the Church of the Firstborn is all tied into the revelation of the transassimilation, the kinsman redeemer, you are gods. That's all part of it. It all ties in. It all ties into that, uh, that the scriptures that I shared with you in the last two teachings that were so very, very, very important. You know? And, and how that those things must be assimilated, because without being assimilated, uh, you are not reconciliating these things to yourself. If you want to read about the Dukes of Teman, turn to uh, Genesis 36. I'm not going to read there, and I don't have time. And you can also uh, read in uh, Genesis 25, 23 through 30. So that's Genesis chapter 36, about the Dukes of the offspring of, you know, of, of Teman, of Esau. And uh, Genesis 25, 23 through 30 verses. Wow. It's all beautiful. It's all so absolutely interesting. I want to read that scripture again in the first chapter of John, the Gospel of John. If you turn it to me. We're getting ready to, before too long here, we'll be sort of summing this up here, <coughs> making a close on this. But I'll tell you what, this trans-assimilation is a beautiful thing. And there are different states of Christ that, even though he was in the flesh, he, was, he, he went into transfiguration. So you, you can trans-assimilate to him, just like those disciples that he brought up to the mount. The other, the other disciples apparently were not ready. But, you know, you must be born again from above. That's what this is all about. You must be born again from above. Wow. Which were born, verse 13 of chapter 1, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of the grace and of the truth. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, people are all caught up into their own blood, their own life. People are all caught up into the history of their own life. But those that are going to be born from above, part of the church of the firstborn, where they're taken on that becoming by trans the firstborn, 
verse 13, chapter 1, which were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is how. Verse 14, because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. People have got to be able to see this glory of transassimilation. And once they see it, it is, it is the greatest pardon of grace that has ever been manifested in the annals of history. <coughs> Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of the living God. There's room at the cross for you. The cross is like the vertical line and the horizontal lines, the crossroads. And at the center, center of the cross, the transom, there is the energy dot. And there is the revelation of transassimilation. There is the revelation of the kinsman redeemer. Though millions we come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. God bless you. We love you. And say, <clears throat> last time I looked on my blog, we were three short from the minimum that I like to have before I put on another blog. I could have already had that blog published and on there for you to read because it is absolutely going to be sensational, this third revelation of the crop circles. But I'm just waiting for people to be sure that they've had a chance to read this tremendous number two before I move on to the third one. And so the slower that you are responding, that just holds up the new blog from being able to be written. Now, I'm not talking about someone that gets on and, and you know, decides they'll do two or three. I'm talking about, you know, new people coming on. I don't mean someone that's never done it before, but not someone that's already given a blog. I'm talking about at least a minimum of 20. I like to get 25. And there's a lot of you out there that have not even gotten into reading and making a comment. And that's body ministry. That's what this is important. Body ministry, body of Christ, it's trans-assimilation. We're getting into trans-assimilation of the body of Christ. It's our manna. It's our food. It's our blood. Praise God. Okay, we'll take a short time here for doing some um, Gentile. And uh, we just want to thank God. Uh, 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 I hope that I'm reporting this correctly. 
as I understood it. But the other day, um, I did a telephone call uh, for a lady who's been following us in this ministry. And she had had uh, a, a terrible, um, serious infection uh, that had swollen up in a you know, private part of her body about the size of an egg. And we did Gentile, and we asked God to shrink that. And it began that evening from the time we did the prayer to shrink. And she told me that it was just now uh, just the size, instead of an egg, uh, down to the size of just a, a, an eye. And, and uh, you know, God is moving by His Spirit, moving in all the earth. And and uh, I just want to, day to, uh, I, I want to do Gentile for you people who are in consternation, who people are in fear, uh, people that, that you're just unsure of which way to turn, what moves to make. And you're concerned about the, the turmoil in the world. Uh, you're concerned about the problems uh uh, perhaps in, in in your own uh, habitat where you live or including your family environment. I just want to pray that God will give you peace. Uh, I think a lot of times, if you can remember this, that a lot of individuals have a problem really coming into peace because, as Jesus put it, they do not recognize, they do not know, they do not identify as to what belongs to their peace. Many times people have the stone worm to touch, and it really belongs to their peace, but they just can't comprehend it, they just can't get it, and they end up throwing that stone away because they knew not what belonged to their peace. So that's the Gentile I want to do today. <clears throat> Here we go. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland. I begin to send messages across the neural centers of the brain, uh, from hemisphere to hemisphere, uh, from point uh, uh, of cognition to point of con cognition. I uh, begin to send uh, uh, the very energy uh, substance of God's uh, mercy through the hormones. Begin to release those those uh, energies from the hormones into all the nervous points, the nerve center points of the body, uh, and to just uh, give uh, a peace and a calm and a tranquility to these people that are are warring within themselves. They don't know which way to turn. They don't know what to do. There's an uncertainty. There's fear. There's anxiety. Uh, there is sometimes almost a hopelessness. Sometimes they feel overcome uh, of their environment with the circumstances. They're worried about the turmoil in the world. Their world they're worried about how they will exist. Begin to deal with those people uh, through the, the uh, body energies of the brain and begin to send to all the important aspects of the brain those uh, energies that will deal with all of the said conditions. There's any inhibitors, if there's any blockers, if there's any messages anti to this, they are canceled. God bless you and give you peace. We love you. We'll see you next week and we hope to see you on the blogs. Good night. <laughs>